0: Right, hello, and welcome to episode number thirty-two of the Long Ball Football Podcast, a weekly podcast by two brothers about all things football in Portugal. You're listening to myself, Albert, and as always, I'm joined by my brother Barney. How you doing, Barney? You been all right? Yeah, I'm very good, man. Very good. Excited about this episode. Great scenes yesterday, weren't they? Yeah, fantastic scenes. We're a very special episode. Obviously, we like to start the show with a little bit of news here and there. And today we have the small matter of sporting becoming Premier League of Champions for the first time in 19 years we would of course like to extend our biggest congratulations to any sporting fans listening all the players all the staff it's been amazing to watch the whole time and to see them get over the line a few hairy moments recently it's just been it's just been amazing
1: yeah I mean I, there's two things I want to talk about first was just seeing the scenes and the celebrations from the players and the fans and not only just those in Lisbon but across the world I don't honestly can't I don't think I've seen scenes like this because, like we were discussing before this, we're both English football fans and we don't support a big team. And even when a big team does win, or like when there's like recently the celebrations haven't been that great, perhaps Liverpool winning the league was quite big, but hmm.
0: man, the, the streets were filled, weren't they? And just like, uh, oh, it's just unbelievable. It was really incredible to see. And there was a lot of pictures going around on Twitter. Like you compare it with the Manchester City celebrations. Obviously, Man City won the league on the same day. And, and just seeing the. You know the kind of nothingness that came out of that. Obviously, I'm aware that um, those pictures were probably exaggerated, or you know, it was, I'm sure there was more fans out there than it seems. But yeah, you just really got the sense that you were really witnessing a historic moment. And of course, winning the league for the first time in 20 years is, is a massive deal for anyone. It's I think it's pretty apt to compare it to Liverpool. Actually, you know, obviously they went 30 years without winning the league, even even longer. But yeah, just an incredible moment. I mean, there were so many things I love about the ceremony. So many. Funny moments, I think, that when the players came out one by one to collect their medals, some absolutely brilliant moments. The best ones for me Bruno Tabata, right, who's allegedly injured and out for the rest of the season, comes out doing a fucking backflip to collect his medal. <laughs> I'm looking at that going, <laughs> This guy's got to be careful. Uh, Tiago Tomas managed to turn himself into the star of the show. He was, oh, yeah, he you know, came out doing a little dance. He did a lot of filming on the bus and stuff like that. I really enjoyed that. Edu Karezma, did you see this? The young son about when he came out to get his medal. I don't want to be harsh, but he was sort of giving it everything, you know, dancing around, really playing up to the cameras. And then at the same time with the TV, they really stitched him up because they had this graphic saying, yeah, he's made two appearances this season. <laughs> <laughs> <don't want> to... <laughs> to... And then you had um, Jovan Cobral coming out with a fucking GoPro strapped to his head, like filming the whole thing's hand free. It was like, it was, it was pretty, it was pretty chaotic. It, it was so it.
1: cool, man. And all those videos that they posted when they were on the bus, I think, um, Broganza put a really good one up. Like he, he, for me, Broganza seems like a quite a, a quiet little boy, a little shy little boy, but on the bus, he was absolutely going for it. It was so good. <laughs> and, and and that's the thing about like the fact that they did it on the same night, 4am in the morning. I've never ever seen anything like that before in my life. It,
0: uh, so good. So good. It's absolutely amazing. It was so funny. Like, I was literally watching the game, thinking, great game, looking forward to the ceremony, watched the ceremony, thought that was good fun, enjoyed that. By 11.30, that finishes, I'm off to bed. I wake up and they've been doing the whole fucking street parade in the bus with <laughs> thousands of fans on the street at three in the morning. Completely amazing. It did make me, I did feel a little bit jealous in that moment because, you know, similar to what you were saying before, we don't support a big team. You know, I love the team that I support and I love the good moments that we have, but I've never had that moment shared with so many people on mm. the streets of London like that. And and to witness something like that was pretty incredible. You, you see the way... Obviously, there are great street parades when um, Premier League teams win win the league these days, but there is just this sense that perhaps that it's a bit diluted following a big team in England these days. And just to be able to witness like one of the biggest teams in Portugal and the way the fans celebrated, it was yeah, it, it was it was really special. We're going to do a proper season review probably in a couple of weeks, so you know, we're not going to spend too much time analysing what success over the whole season, but. While I was watching the game, I was kind of reflecting on how many of their players have done so well. I mean, you've obviously got the star names, right? Pedro González, uh, Sebastián Coates, Poliño. even, you know, a big name doing well in the last few games, scored important goals. But there's so many other players that you can name, like Nuno Santos, Nuno Mendes, Palina, Joao Mario, uh, Pedro Poro, Fedao, Adán. The whole team, you know, the young lads as well, uh, Braganza, Ignacio, all these players... Doing so well, even the guys that have come off the bench, um, Jovan Cabral, uh, Matias Nunes, who's got some really important goals recently. The whole squad performed so well, and you know, I think there's obviously some sort of little bit of bitterness and a few jabs going in here and there for some Porto and Benfica fans online, as they're entitled to do. You know, that's part and parcel of being a being a football fan. And a few backhanded comments going on, basically kind of suggesting that Sporting only won the league because maybe the others weren't good enough this year. I mean, come on, man, it's bullshit. It's- Sporting were 100% worthy winners this year. It might be that they were the only worthy title contenders this year, but that takes nothing away from the fact that they were absolute worthy title winners. It's been a wicked season.
1: And you know what? It wasn't really until last night, if if I'm honest, that I really, really appreciated what has happened this season because it's easy to forget that it's been 19 years which is such a long time I think it's easy to forget that they have nowhere near the financial power that Benfica and Porto have and they've had to build this squad in a completely different way to how Porto and Benfica built theirs recently it's easy to forget Hamarun um, is completing his first full season as a manager and you know he's only getting his coaching badges early and midway through the season easy to forget that he's brought through five youth players into this team who have all made significant contributions some mm-hmm. playing all season and then finally like sort of what we've touched on already but it's also easy to forget that they've made, maintained this level all season and without fans in the stadium and we've already compared them to Liverpool and how and to do that again if you see Liverpool this season without fans in the stadium there's been a massive Mm drop-off so for them to have maintained that level is just brilliant and the point I'm trying to make is that this is a phenomenal achievement like
0: really phenomenal and people shouldn't dampen it because it's incredible it's absolutely incredible. Right well like I said we will do a full season review once the season's finished and of course we're going to come on to talk about uh, the game itself in just a moment but there is more news in the world of Portuguese football however and one story that we did want to touch on was the announcement from the Pastor de Ferreira president that manager Pepper will be leaving the club at the end of the season now there's no confirmation of where he'll be headed yet but it is widely believed that he will be off to gimarães to be the new Vitória manager uh, it's an interesting one Barney if that was to come about what what would you make of that move?
1: Well, I think it's not made no bones about it. We both have quite a soft spot for Passos Ferreira, don't we? And then mm, definitely. them getting to Europe, I think part of me would have liked to have seen them lead them in Europa Conference League. But however, and this comes to no surprise our listeners as well, we have a even bigger spot for Vittorio Grumma. <laughs> so for me, I, I think it's a good fit, you know, and in terms of what Pepper's done with Passos this season and, and in terms of what Vittorio need, I mean, the attacking players of Passos have been the standout players, haven't they, this season? They've really caught the headlines. Um, Luther Singh, Bruno Costa, Elder Ferreira. And then you can draw comparisons to Victoria players who have a sort of similar profile Marcus Edwards, Andre Almeida, Andre Andre Vashinia. But the thing that I feel like perhaps I, I I, myself have done this, I've overlooked, we've overlooked is the work he's done to pass us his defence. So, so far this season, they conceded 37 goals with two games left for play. And You compare it to last season when they conceded 52. If they win their last two games, they would have got 17 more points than they would have last season. They have the most tackles per game in the league. They're a top five for crosses, blocks, passes, blocks, least shots, face. And like I said, you know we focus on their attacking players, but he's he's shored them up at the back. And that is
0: exactly what Victoria needs. I mean, it's a great point. Defence has been leaking goals recently. The thing I found strange about this move by him was the fact that he was going to leave a team, as you say, going into European football, to a team without it. And obviously, I suppose, and Weiss's job in the long-term picture is a much bigger club in the grand scheme of things. I'm sure his transfer budget will be higher. You know, you sense there's an opportunity to build something there, but... Let's face it, after this season, they will need rebuilding. Uh, It is interesting, though, because what do you think that rebuilding job will be? Obviously, as you just said, the defensive part will be a big part of it. From my perspective, what's going to be really important is the fact that they've got such a bloated squad. There's loads of players there that they've maybe failed to integrate adequately. Almost the opposite of the situation that Pep is currently in at Passos, where he has that real core group of players, like you said, the Luther Sings, the Bruno Costas you know, those players that he relies on so much. And outside of that, there's not really much there. So do you think he'll want to get as close to that as possible with Vittoria, trim down those excess players until he's got a smaller, more unified group to work with? I mean, they'll only have domestic football to worry about next season. So it's not the end of the world if they don't have the biggest squad there. For me, that is definitely something that I would be considering. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And sort of just to make another point, with including those two players you mentioned, Bruno Cross and Lufer Singh, a part of one of the other factors, I think, in this move is that they're both returning to their clubs, I don't think passive had the funds to get those players back in permanently, but a club like Victoria might do. And I don't know if you'd be looking at that, but I completely agree with what you're saying about trimming down the squad. I think there's money to be made in some of those players. I think, you know, we we talk about Marcus Edwards a lot. Something's wrong with him, his relationship to that club at the moment. I'm not sure what it is. Could be the manager, who knows, but there's money to be made. There'll be money to spend as well. They've got the potential, I think. They've got, a uh, from midfield well, midfield and attack, they're they're pretty stacked, aren't they? But mm. maybe another striker, the main thing for me will be that defense. Another thing to look at with Pepper is not his skills in the transfer market, but the skills of you know developing players. We we've praised Ustaki a lot. I think a lot a lot of people give Pepper the credit in, in developing him into sort of one of the best defensive midfielders in the league. Partner that with Andre Almeida, you know, the potential he's got. Mm. You know, it could it, it could be really exciting. I, I think it's I
0: think I think it's a good move, like I said. I think it's a, it's a nice, nice fit. I think it is a good fit. And just quickly, when you compare the potential of a club like Vittoria with the potential of a club like Passos, I want to be careful what I say because we can't predict the future, but I've just had this sense recently that next season could be very difficult for Passos. Obviously, a lot of players leaving on loan, a lot of their best players could be pinched by other clubs. You sense, and I don't want to be too harsh, but you sense that there could be a danger of them doing a Rio Ave next season, you know? And perhaps when you look at the two clubs, perhaps Passos' ceiling is where they currently are in terms of being able to get a unified group together, whereas Victoria's ceiling is is much higher than than where they are. So there is a, yeah, like you said, there's there's a real job to be done there, and, and there's real opportunities if he's given the time uh, and the backing to do so. That's the thing with Victoria,
1: there, isn't it? I think what we've seen this season is managers aren't given time; they're they're going to be quite quick to make a change. So if that if things do start badly and perhaps he gets the boot midway through the season, that could be quite detrimental. Uh, but I, I'm positive still.
0: I, I, I'm i excited to see what happens. Yeah, definitely. We'll keep an eye on that one as it progresses. Obviously, nothing's signed yet, so we'll see where he does uh, end up. Lastly, before we move on and we get into this week's games, we should just touch on one last bit of news. That It's a story that we've discussed quite a few times in the recent episodes, uh, whereby a couple of managers have recently been given touchline bans for their actions and comments against referees, something that we were calling for, most notably after Sergio Conte was pretty out of order at the end of their 1-1 draw, with Rennes against the referee. Initially, he was given a 21-day ban, which would have seen him unavailable until the last day of the season. Now, that ban has since been rescinded, however, which, in my opinion, pretty much undermines the whole message of why he was banned in the first place. But even more bizarrely than that, Ruben Amarim himself was given a ban for some comments he made against the ref six months ago and Petit, the manager of b was in a similar situation being given a retrospective ban. I think even both of those have been rescinded after they were given in the first place. The whole thing has just been a spectacular example of incompetence. It's been handled so badly. I don't know how you can expect to give a clear message to these managers about not disrespecting referees when the way they're enforcing the rules is just so poor. The only thing that, that's positive from this, and sorry that this
1: is a bit light hard but is that Conchita was wearing his armband in the last game. <laughs> that's all they've got out of it. I I, I don't think he's going to change his ways. But and then yeah, you talked about the the, the length of time it get it takes them to get to decisions, but then for Conchita it was almost instant. I mean, it just it, it's not fair if you're if you're banning a your manager. Instantly, and then in you're banning a manager several months down the line when there could be different games at important moments. Um,
0: yeah, it's 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 stupid. <laughs> That's it well, of course, more disappointing than those uh, touchline bans. And probably the most disappointing bit of legislation dished out by the Portuguese league this season also came this week. Uh, and this was in response to a game last year where Musa Morega was subject to racist abuse from fans at a Vittoria de Guimaraes game. It's taken, I think, over a year for uh, a response to be made. And that response was that Victoria Guimaraes would have to play three games behind closed doors, two of which were already going to be behind closed doors anyway because of the pandemic. The punishment is disgraceful. I think whoever's been involved in making that decision should be embarrassed. The whole situation is a real, real black mark on Portuguese football. I mean, we weren't doing this podcast at the time. I do remember the game happening and I remember mm. the scenes. that were really unsavoury. Moose Marega was clearly very distressed and rather than having the support of, of his teammates, his colleagues on the pitch, the staff, the refs, uh, he was pretty much held back from leaving the pitch and, and forced to play on. The whole thing was really, really badly dealt with at the time, I think if you're going to say anything maybe at least people learn from that situation retrospectively but this ruling that came out recently just adds another awful mistake to a list of long running mistakes in this in this whole saga i just personally i can't believe that the league has has, has dealt with this so badly you couldn't handle it any worse in my opinion
1: i, I completely agree with you. it's an absolute disgrace and like you just it's just beggars belief in it that you just think if, if those people sit around at a table it would have been like Right, we're going to ban the fans for three games and not want them to say, oh, there's two games where the fans aren't in there anyway. It's just like, how how can that happen? How can that happen? It's so,
0: so ridiculous. Yeah, you know, at a time when racism in football and racism in society is such a big topic anyway, the fact that this has been handled so badly is is is, is really disappointing. I had just realised, Barney, before we do move on, I know I said that was going to be the last bit of news, but... There was a last-minute bit of breaking news in Portuguese football today, and that is the news that the Champions League final looks set to be held in the Estadio de Dragão in Porto. This was after, uh, obviously, two English teams, Chelsea and Man City, qualified this. The final was meant to be held in Turkey. Turkey, of course, is having a very tough time with coronavirus Originally, the plan was to bring it back to Wembley. Obviously, two English clubs, it would make sense to have it in England. I think those talks went really badly. So the second option was Porto. It looks like it's going ahead. And do you know what, Albert? Something that I
1: find really hard is seeing... um. I, I, don't know, people, I went to Porto for my honeymoon. I've been there several times. It's my favourite place in the world. Seeing the pictures of fans, and there's a very specific picture that I have in mind. They're sort of on this ledge overlooking the the river. Hmm. And just down from there, there's a there's a, a wine bar that's the mine my, my of my wife's place that's where we go mm-hmm. it's very hard to get a seat i mean last time we were there <laughs> I'm, sorry, I'm not gonna I tell you the name of it <laughs> no but it just breaks my heart because i want to go there i want to be there so bad I, I, yeah, yeah. I mean i'll be whatever happens I, anyone who's important i'm gonna be jealous i think uh, it's, <laughs> it, it's a great it's a, it's a beautiful city man be, i'd love to go to go to the Champions League final it would be great but yeah, also I'm incredibly jealous.
0: Well, I know that a lot of Portuguese people are a bit trepidatious. Obviously, the idea in these times of a load of football fans coming from England over over to Portugal with you know potentially carrying a virus, stuff like that. There's a lot of trepidation. I did enjoy uh, one comment that I saw on Reddit from a Portuguese football fan who said, "Well, look, at least if if uh, two clubs from England have to come over, it's the two clubs who got no fans." just a bit of english football banter for you there i don't need i don't need any messages from chelsea fans it's just a tr- <laughs> right well let's talk games of the week and as always. Of course, there's nowhere else we're going to start other than with that sporting game. Obviously, they beat Bovis to 1-0. Everyone knows the scoreline by now. It was a result that saw them win the league for the first time in 19 years. We're going to talk about the game a little bit, Barney. To be totally honest with you, I haven't got much to say from Sporting's perspective in terms of the game itself. They played really well. There was a lot of nervousness in the players, which was, was quite understandable. A little bit poor decision-making in and around the box. Totally fair, given the occasion. But it was Paulinho that got the goal that they needed. The big money signing. The experienced striker, the man brought in to score the goals. And I thought it was very fitting because he hasn't had a great season. Even since joining Sporting in the winter, he didn't really settle in straight away. But recently, in the last three games or so, he's really started to settle into the team. You really start to see him playing well. He grabbed an important goal last week and even more vital goal in this game. And for me, he's stepping up at just the right time and showing what he's all about.
1: Yeah, I was, I was so, so happy for him. I think that it was clear how much it, it meant to him and I think it would do him a world of good as well, that sort of confidence and it. He's, he's contributed to them winning the league now. He, he will certainly feel that uh, in that goal. Um, I thought he should have had a couple more as well. There's some great chances. that, Like you said, I think that, that was nerves from the players. I think a couple of good runs, I remember thinking that he... A really smart run he made which just made that space for Nuno Santos to have a shot I think that was when the one that hit the post so yeah I think uh, it was good for him I mean there was there was lots of other nice moments I thought but I thought Nuno Mendes you know sort of the golden boy of the season he was fantastic a brilliant display from him I mean I was gutted for Pedro Porro when he got injured and he had to come off that was that was horrible to see but then
0: I equally like the fact that João Piero came on and put a shift in you know that was that, that was nice uh, No yeah I was I was surprised to see quite how gutted Porro was I mean I was really worried when he was So in tears, I thought, you know, what if this is a really serious injury? What if it rules him out of of the Euros or something like that? Because, you know, in the game itself, obviously you want to be involved, but he's been involved the whole season. You know, I'm I'm not sure why he would have been so distraught just for that. So we'll we'll obviously hope that uh, the injury is not too bad they could have easily had three or four goals. You know, on a, on a better day, they would have had three or four goals. But look, it was a great performance and, and it does bode well for next season because the core of that group, and you do get the feeling that they will be able to keep the majority of that group together. I don't really see any reason why those players will leave unless a massive offer comes in for someone like a Pedro Gonzalez, you know. Uh, but that's the whole point about the Sporting team. It's not a team of individual stars who are going to get nicked by bigger clubs. You know, it's a, it's a very cohesive team. Obviously, uh, we can't forget as well, it was a big game for Boavista. They really needed the points and, and they are starting to run out of games now in terms of putting enough points to stay up. They set up very defensively in the game, which I thought was quite interesting. Fight with the back. They don't do that every game. Uh, they look to counter with Ellis and Angel Gomez. Obviously, it worked quite well in the first half. They had a couple of moments getting forward, but you know, Ultimately, for me, they never really challenged sporting, and I never felt like there was any real danger.
1: I know, and you know, they've given the big teams some good games this season, but I was expecting a little more. But you know, I, I thought they were they just really didn't show enough. I was disappointed. I thought you mentioned Aim Gomez, I thought he was pretty inconspicuous in this game, which is not his usual self. Alba Vettis, as well, didn't have many chances against. You know those free sporting centre backs. He was, you know, he, he wasn't going to get anything there. They just seem to struggle to get the ball from defence to attack, didn't they? And I think that's been, I think that's been their weakest area this season in midfield. You know, they really have struggled to keep the ball all season. This game, they seventy five percent pass actually, but a lot of players had individual pass accuracy much lower than that. Hmm. I mean. For the season, they've got the second-lowest amount of possession and the fourth-lowest pass, actually. Wow. And when you look at teams like, say, Santa Clara or Passos, who have done well this season, the players they've brought in into the midfield, like Bruno Costa, for example, or Morita, that's a Japanese player, it's all very well like getting Angel Gomez in or Albert Velas, but they they can't do anything if they don't have the ball, can they? And to be fair, at the start of the season and, and seeing the players they had brought in, I thought... They would be up there in terms of the league. I thought it was, it was exciting, you know, big names. But now I feel like that was a mistake and we perhaps gave the signings too much credit, if you see. I mean, I don't know if you agree with that.
0: I don't think it's a case of not, of giving the signings too much credit because I think Albert Feles is a good player. I think he'll move on to a bigger team, either in this league or another one. Angel Gomez will move on to bigger things as a great young player. Even a player like Reggie Cannon, I think. Perhaps we expected him to settle in a bit quicker than he did. I think it's totally understandable that he's had a season settling in. He's not been totally at his best but i think they are all all good signings i think the issue i have with them is that when i look at that defense they're nowhere near good enough defensively the defense is just not cohesive. it's not it's not solid and 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 when you when you see them set up against anyone there's just always that question mark over the defense about whether they're going to be able to to hold on to any kind of result
1: and i guess i think you're i agree with you about alba feles and angel Gomez but i think perhaps the players I did have in mind with this was Adel Rami and Xavi Garcia. I know Xavi no. Garcia is injured at the moment, but, you know, those big names and particularly Javi Garcia, who's been playing uh, sent d- defensive mid for the and of this season, that, ha- that hasn't come off at all, I think. I think that was, you know, his reputation came before his ability. I-, I think those are the issues I've had. I think they've been a massive letdown this season. I think we're going to talk about them later when we do a little preempt of the, the relegation battle, aren't we? But hmm. I mean, this game just, just, yeah, wasn't enough there. Right.
0: Well, let's move on to another clash between top and bottom of the table, Barney. Friends versus Porto. Porto ran out a massive 5 1 winners. And you really sense that. Before kickoff, this was going to be a make-or-break game for Forens. Such an important game in their season. And unfortunately, it turned out to be the game that looks like it will finally break in the season. 30 minutes of madness culminated in three goals and a sending off, all starting with a handball decision against Likert, which led to a penalty. Did you see the penalty decision, Brian? I don't know if you have any thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, I did, actually. I thought it was a bit of a weird one because, uh, to be honest, I only really just tuned in when Vio was looking at the replays. Because of Luca's movement and the direction he was going, in, I I thought it was for a penalty for friends because I don't know it just part of me thought it looked like Otavio's hand pushes Luca's arm into the ball into the, the path of the ball, but then I still don't I still understand what he was trying to Luca was trying to do in that situation. He seemed to be trying to like control the ball back towards goal. It was, it was stupid. It
0: was silly. He shouldn't put himself in that position. The referee looked at it for for a long time, didn't he? He looked at it for an awful long time. And when I first saw it, my instinct was that uh, the defender Otavio, sorry, I put it pushed Lika's hand onto the ball, but then when you started looking at the second angle, I think you can clearly see that. Lika is not putting his hand towards the ball, but he's using his hand to push Ottavio away. So he is using his hand. And then actually the the act of him putting his hand on Ottavio then puts his hand in the way of the ball. So it was a bit of a confusing one, but um, ultimately I I do think the pen wasn't the right decision. But here's the thing. We're talking about a controversial penalty decision. I put out a tweet as the game was happening, which which I still stand by. It, it, was some, it was essentially along the lines of, you know, friends are likely to be relegated this season. And if they are, it's not going to be because of these controversial penalty decisions. It won't even be because of bad luck. It will be because their team is just simply not good enough. And, you know, neither of us really want to dig out individual players on the podcast. We don't like to do that. And I don't want to be too harsh, but I am going to, make a case in point of Thomas Tavares as kind of emblematic of that fact in this game. The young right back, obviously a young kid on loan from Benfica. He's been okay at times this season. He's had good and bad moments, but in this game, it was just some really rash decision-making, poor challenges, poor defending. He was really lucky not to be sent off. He wasn't even the one who got sent off. I thought when he got a first yellow card, I thought, I thought his, his minutes were numbered. The way he was playing was, was awful. Obviously, anyone who's listened to this show before will know that he's a player that i do quite like and um, i've told the story before i did watch him make his debut uh in the estadio de luz at the champions league and and he was 18 years old playing at right back in the champions league and honestly he was brilliant and and i, I was looking at him thinking this kid could could play for benfica at right back for a long time obviously since then it's not gone the way he'd hoped he he came back on loan from alavés in winter hadn't made a single appearance for them trying to rebuild his reputation at Forens. And unfortunately, in this game, like I said, he was kind of emblematic, really, of, of a squad not capable of really coping with the challenge at hand. I could, I could have picked out anyone from that back four because the reality is none of them were good enough. I think, you know, when that penalty was given, it was only given three minutes into the game. You know, when they let that goal in so early, I think a lot of the Forens players kind of capitulated and, and perhaps, you know, they were confronted for the first time with the reality that, you know what, they they might not actually be able to do this.
1: To focus on one of those players, uh, which is Ryan Gould, uh, this is the first time, you know, we've talked regularly about the season, about how we feel he's obviously a different class for his teammates and it has got his a different wavelength, puts balls in that no one finishes. But this is the first time out that I saw him, I felt visibly in the game, just really feel like what more can I do? I feel like, you know, you, after, when, once they were free down the red card, he was putting passes and the players weren't getting on the end of it and I just really felt that he was, looks just so disheartened because I genuinely feel like he feels he could have kept them up and the, the moment has passed now, I, I think the realisation is, is finally him and, and I don't know if you've mentioned this before in this podcast but the fact that they've taken the caps off him as well and we speculated that that's in relation to the fact that he's going to, he's not going to renew his, uh, for another year. Um, you know, it's it's really disrespectful, and I hope it doesn't end on a sour note for him and friends because you know he's done great for them, and and in a way they've done they've done right by him as well by giving him that opportunity to keep his career in the Portuguese leagues. And yeah, I was just it was such a, such a bad game for them, and it just you know in that first thirty minutes it
0: was done, wasn't it? Yeah, I totally agree with you on that, like, Again, I said this on Twitter at the time as well. He, he alone has created enough chances for them to have, you know, four, five, six more points at this point in the season. The chances that he's created for them have been fantastic. And it's, you know, the players around him have kind of not been able to put those chances away. He was hooked off at half time as well. And you know what? Weirdly, um, I do I did respect George Costa for that decision because it sounds completely contradictory right after what I just said about Ryan. But I respected the manager because there's two games left now, right? There's no point making meaningless gestures by keeping your best players going on when you're 10 men down, 3-0 down against Porto. Oh, maybe we can get something out of the game. No, you know, this is it, right? This is it. There's not 10 games left where they're going, oh, maybe we can pick, you know, the three points we need up, the five points we need up at some point in the season. This is it. There are two games left. They have to win those games. And so I did respect him because, you know, Ryan Gould was on the yellow. He, he could have been suspended if he picked up another one. It was the right call to bring off. And I did respect George Cross. the that. And, you know, there was one moment for Friends, wasn't there? I think they were 2-0 down. Pedro Enriquez went through on goal. This is when they stood 11 players on the pitch. He had a really good chance one-on-one to score. He missed it and Porto went up the other end and made it 3-0 but ultimately for Ferenc, it was a disastrous performance at just the wrong time in the season
1: Yeah, and I think Pedro Henrique you mentioned there I think he's done that all season he, he yeah. hasn't put away enough goals I mean I, I'm not expecting him to get you know 10-15 goals a season but there's been important moments in games where he hasn't been able to put the ball in the back of the net
0: For Porto, Barney it's obviously easy to get the impression that they won the game based on Ferenc's weaknesses but let's not take anything away from what I thought was really high-level finishing we saw throughout the game from Martinez. He got a good goal coming on in place of and particularly to Ramey. You know, let's not forget the importance of this game as well to them to bounce back from the 1-1 Classico draw. You know, they're still fighting for second place Champions League football, you know, despite obviously the title being wrapped up at this point. There is, you know, they do just want to make sure that they get that automatic Champions League spot wrapped up. So it's important for them to put games like this to bed. Well, absolutely. and For me, this is, Apart
1: from their two games at the beginning of the season, but apart from that, this is the the most dominant I've seen Porto be in this league since, as far as I can remember. And I, I wonder if it's due to just them having been in Europe, because I think in Europe, that's certainly where we've seen the best of them. But the other factor I think is who you mentioned, Tony Martinez and the effect he has on his team, because, you know, we spoke last week about, well, I spoke how I feel like he deserved a run this team. And the stats are starting to show the effect he has on this Porto team. If, if you look at Porto's XG for the season, they've consistently outscored their expected goals, if you see what I mean, but not to the extent when Tony Martens has played. He has an XG for the season of 2.1 with a goal return of five, which is the best XG goal ratio out of all the players in the big three teams. I mean, his goal in this game, I thought was ridiculous. I thought the reaction and the instinct to, to hit the ball when he did was brilliant. But then you mentioned Tremi as well, and he's benefiting from... Tony Martin has been in the team the last three games that Tony Martin has started in Tremi was involved in seven out of the ten goals scored the four goals and three assists if you compare that to the whole season where he's contributed to 40% of Porto's goals and say the 70% in the three games that Martin has been on the pitch that's, that's quite a big difference and although I thought the assists were a recent thing from Toremi's game because of how much he's comp- contributed in the last few games. It, he's been consistent like that all season, hasn't he? He's got 15 goals, 13 assists, the most goal contributions in the league this season. We did speculate a little bit last week, didn't we, whether they're the right two to see Porto through in the next season. For me, I, I'm
0: starting to feel like Toremi is the man. It's definitely working and they look much improved with with those two players playing together. Obviously, Musa Morega, the notable absentee, his move to al uh in Saudi Arabia has been tied up now there's suggestions that he won't play again for the rest of the season uh, suggestions that he announced that move unauthorised by Porto so they're a bit disappointed with that it's good to know that they've got two strikers on the book so are more than capable of putting the ball in the back of the net
1: Another One player I just wanted to look on look at as well was uh, jean Mario who got a at right back which mm. I think he deserved after his cameo in the classical he, looked, he got good when he came on that game Perhaps the more interesting question is what's going on with Sanusi because I thought last week that he was being rested for games but now it looks like it's he was drops because he was on the bench for this game there was sort of no reason to put Manafort at left back of is available and in dropping him you have to play your best right back at left back and then bring in a midfielder at right back and with Joe it's interesting because how his opportunities come about in the starting 11 because you know we've seen Diego Gonçalves do the same with Benfica in a way like a midfielder being reverted to a sort of more defensive thing and I, I think in this league Against certain opposition, perhaps like Ferencz, you, you can definitely afford to play, you know, a young midfielder in defence. But do you see his future at Porto in this position? Because, you know, he put in a, a really good attack of display, I think, albeit with 10 men from this game, you know two shots from right back, one on target, six dribbles. He had 93.1% pass accuracy. But personally, it, it still flummoxed me out That. You know, we haven't seen Carassa, we we haven't seen much of Nani, both players who are more comfortable at right-back. But, like I said, you can afford to give these youngsters an opportunity
0: who are perhaps traditionally more attacking players in defence in this league. Yeah, I don't mind it, but I think he would be a bit wasted at fullback. I think he could do a job, definitely, but like I said, I think his his talents mean that he deserves to play further forward. I mean, it was a really, really well-taken goal that he scored in the game. I think he's got so much talent. Sure, he 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 could function there, but I would love to see him further up the pitch because I just think he'll be much more valuable to the team, and and you know it'll be better for him. That's the type of player that he is. That's you know that's where he wants to be in you know, and around the goals, in you know, and around the assists. You know,
1: well, that's why actually why I thought that was quite effective in him playing right back is because he he regularly got himself up the pitch, didn't he? You know, he was that overload. He was the the extra man out they could switch the ball to, and I, and in that sense it did work well, well. I mean, I I also think you know for a, a player like Joe Mary who he's not a teenager, is he? he's like 21, I think that's right. Having that um, flexibility and the positions he can play will benefit him in terms of getting more opportunities in this team. But no, I'm, I'm a fan of him. I, I'd like to see if, I'd like to see a bit more of him.
0: Well, Porto, four points clear of Benfica, obviously, with two games to play. Porto's next two games, Rio have at home, be side away. So, you know, they're looking comfortable to secure that second definite Champions League spot. Benfica, Barney, we're going to move on to their game. They beat C D Nacional 3-1 during the week. Don't let that result for you, though, because Benfica were absolutely terrible. Two goals from Gonzalo Ramos and a very, very fortunate own goal were enough to save them from a very embarrassing result. But up until Ramos came into the game about 75 minutes in, they were so poor. Improved slightly in the second half when JJ brought on some of the more regular starters. But the first half was some of the worst football Benfica played all season, or at least the worst I've seen them play big changes made to that starting eleven for the game. I don't know what you made of that. It seemed like a big mistake to me.
1: Yeah, I think you got absolutely wrong. I mean, I think you could also say it was a little disrespectful because he brought in those fringe players and they are decent players, but players he, and he himself hasn't trusted this season. And, you know, they weren't good enough in this game, which was a real shame. I know we've called for in the past for these players to feature more. And I, and I stand by that. I think they should have been given more minutes throughout the season as a whole. But to make such a, a sweeping change to the starting eleven is, is a big call. I mean, Petrino getting his opportunity to play alongside, say, Vigel and Pizzi or Vigel and Tyrab in, in the new 3-4-3 system would have been a much better opportunity for him rather than coming into this sort of makeshift midfield four. I, I, I don't understand why he made so many changes. I, I know there are a fair few games in a short amount of time, but, you know, you can really take your players in a smarter way and make a few changes here and there. I mean, do, do you think that's fair, Albert? Because, I think these players who came in should have been able to deliver or,
0: or was JJ right
1: to give them this opportunity and they just let them down? I, I I don't know.
0: I think it was just a case of mismanagement. It was too many at once, you know, and, you know, I, I specifically have been a champ, champion of uh, Chervy and Chiquinho. I think they've been underused and underrated this season. But the team as a whole looks so lost. There were way too many changes. You know, they looked like what they were, a team that had never played together before, you know, and there were a lot of players on that pitch who haven't had many minutes this season. They're obviously going to be rusty. And you can argue that, in my opinion, there has been mismanagement of some of the fringe players at aviga the Their confidence must be you know, rock bottom after the way some of them have been treated. The only exception, of course, seems to be the young kid, Gonzalo Ramas, who fair play to him. Lots of people have been calling for him to play. Uh, he's done really well in the B team he scored 11 goals in 11 games he took his chance when he came on in this two really well taken goals and interestingly when you compare his two finishes with someone like Seferovic who he was the one who took the shot that was then deflected in by the Nacional defender you know he's capable of missing an easy chance when you compare him to Gonzalo Ramos, Ramos looks excellent oh man I,
1: I tell you what his first goal I, the way he just dropped off it, it might have looked simple but just how he slowed down at the perfect time. The defender didn't have him in his eye line and he just edged off and Darwin was able to start him through. I think we've talked a lot about the Benfica strike situation, what's going to happen in the future. I think the fact he was, well, it was great, he was given opportunity, and the fact he delivered once again you know I I hope I hope we see a bit more and I also think Darwin deserves some credit as well because he caused a lot of problems when he came on on that left hand side interestingly he's only one of two players a season to get two assists after coming on as a sub Lucas Piazza being the other one for Braga Hmm. and with Darwin sort of popping up with the assists working that left channel do you think if they do settle on this 3-4-3 which they've sort of reverted to in the second half of this game do you see Darwin as one of those wide attacking players do you think that
0: could work yeah maybe I mean (laughs) It's funny, it reminded me of of the Darwin we had at the beginning of the season because you remember at the beginning of the season he was getting assists left, right and centre. That's what he was doing. He wasn't scoring big numbers of goals but he was assisting other players. I don't know, if it works then great, go for it but I'm sure he has aspirations to play through the middle and I'm sure he was signed as a striker to play down the middle so I would like to see him do well there at some point but you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it and and if Gossela Ramos is doing well and scoring goals I, I would have him playing. I want to give a little bit of credit to Nassi now Obviously, they didn't get the result in the end. Their performance in the first half, I thought, was pretty good. They looked to hit Benfica on the break, which they did. Brian Riascos, particularly on the left wing, he ran Gilberto absolutely ragged in that first half. Gilberto, one of the worst right-back displays I think we've seen in the league all season. The less said about that, the better. I'll move on (laughs) swiftly. The problem was that, obviously, for Nacional, they just couldn't sustain the level of performance for the whole game. And, you know, that's just been their story for the whole season.
1: I know, I, I agree with you. I thought this was the best I've seen them in a while. I think, you know, they were organised weren't letting Benfica through. Um, they did their defensive duties well. I think they had, um, they won 20 aerials, 22 tackles, you know, really solid performances. And yet, like you said, they still managed to create their own chances. They broke well. Uh, Riascos and Mendes, I thought, were, were good outlets when they did get the ball. But yeah, the defenders, I, I think, you know, the threat from set pieces was what was so impressive of this game. I think uh, their centre-backs, Ulias Cesar and Pedro Al, had four shots, to in target between them. And I mean, I was... I was just gutted I I really thought when it got to 77 minutes I was like this is going to happen this is going to happen they're going to edge it over the line and then yeah I mean I, you mentioned the the own goal off the of Severich's wayward shot I mean it's just that's all Benfica needed that little bit of luck and then the game turned and that's the harsh reality of this league isn't it I mean we've got C. National who are rock bottom of this league they just couldn't handle the substitutions could they because Benfica brought on Darwin and Everton both you know 20 million players, pound players each you know and they couldn't compete they couldn't sustain
0: well, let's do the last game that we're going to touch on this week, and that game is Rio Ave versus Santa Clara. Another game involving a relegation battle team, Rio Ave. They lost 1-0 uh, in the end. This was a really important game for them, and a game that I know you were really interested to look at. From my perspective, a bit more fight from Rio Ave, a bit more creativity. Still not good enough at this stage, though, ultimately.
1: No, and I I, I think this game, because we've spoken a lot about Santa Clara recently, and they, they've been good. They deserve the win winning this game. They deserve to be where they are on the table. Though last year, they finished on 43 points in ninth. The year before that, 42 points in 10th. And this year, they're aiming for six, probably seven, but on the same point. So they haven't actually made huge steps. And this picture was nice for me because it was an opportunity to compare these two teams who, you know, in recent years, have both finished in the top half of the table. And like you said, I wanted to face them focus on Renov because they were such a good good team at the beginning of the season to talk about weren't they they had their whole European campaign they had the AC Milan game but to be frank we, I've stopped watching their games because they've mm. been shit and like because <laughs> <laughs> Albert, Albert they're in a terrible situation absolutely yeah. terrible for, for me they're very much you know they're in this relegation fight now out of all the teams uh, CD National Friends Bo Vista you would say they're in the poorest form mm. I mean, the squad on paper is it, probably better than Santa Clara. and I, I, I don't know if you agree on that, but, you know, the performance of the season, the, there isn't
0: a player from Rio Ave i take over Santa, Santa Clara there. It's really, really interesting to to compare the two squads because if you look at, as you say, some of the players in that Rio Ave team on paper, I just don't get it. Like, when I watch Rio Ave, I'm so confused. They've got Kishek, the goalkeeper, one of the best goalkeepers outside the top three for me. Uh, Berevkovic, great Santa back. Adelan Santos, great centre back. Fabio Quentrell, a leader, someone with so much experience. Guga, a centre midfielder who's played under twenty one football for Portugal. Um, Francisco Geraldes, a player that we really like, creative player, really got the ability to unlock a door. Rafael Camacho, from Sporting. Carlos Mane up front with Gelson Dalla, two great footballers. And I feel like I watch Real Madrid every week. They pass the ball around. They do quite well. You know, Geraldes might do a nice little turn, put a good ball in. Gelson Dalla will do a good run, and then they lose. And they just lose every game. It's just bizarre. I don't know what it is that's missing from that squad. Obviously, last year, they had a fantastic manager in Carlos Carvalho. They lost him. I thought they had a decent manager at points this season. Marino Pachotto didn't do that well. But, you know, these are young managers with with promise. And something is just drastically missing. They've just gone completely under the radar. As you say, we didn't watch them for probably months on end because they were just a completely forgettable team in mid-table. And they have sleepwalked into this position. They've never arrested the situation drastically enough. And it's bizarre because they changed manager earlier in the season, you know. And then from then, they just fail to recognise that things are going badly wrong and need a change. Maybe they should have changed manager again, you know. Obviously, we can just speculate looking back. But the fact that over the last few months, they've just slowly and slowly declined to the position where they are now is really, really poor management, not just from a... A uh, coaching perspective, but from you know a club leadership perspective.
1: Well, I think it's interesting you mentioned Karis Carvalho there, but because so they've got the, they've scored the least amount of goals in the league this season, which is an absolutely massive problem.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then you look to last season when they finished fifth. Who that they have? They had Carlos Carvalho and they had Turemi. Now, obviously, Turemi departing is going to lose you a lot of goals, like no doubt about that. And it's very very hard to replace him. They brought in Dalla and. I don't think he's a natural striker personally. I think he's more suited so to playing off a striker, perhaps a second striker. And the interesting interestingly, back in 2018, he was actually at Ria Rav playing second striker to Carlos Vinicius and or Bruno Moreira. And he was getting he got the most assists for rear av that season. So that's where I think he, he'd be much more suited. The other interesting thing about Carlos Carvalho's tenure there is that they finished the season fifth in uh, possession statistics and fifth in passing accuracy statistics. Now, what surprises me is that this season, despite the position they're on the table, they are currently fifth in possession statistics and they're currently fifth in passing accuracy statistics. And I don't know if that indicates that they're still trying to do the same thing that Carlos Carvajal was going to do, but with different players. Or if it's perhaps even just Carlos Carvajal's legacy looming over the club and these these different managers have come in tried to do something different, but essentially these players are ingrained in trying to do that similar style. I, mm. I don't know. It, it, it's very confusing. But, Like I said just then, the fact that they scored the least amount of goals is an absolutely huge problem. And you mentioned Mm. Giraldes, you mentioned Carlos Manni, who's even been linked with returning to going to Sporting Mm. this summer. They've not created anywhere near enough. They've got, I think that the team has the lowest expected goals in the league this season. You know, there's no creativity. They're not scoring goals, and and that that's the main that's the main thing for sure. Before we wrap up, I wanted to bring another um, XG statistic to the table. Okay. Um, which have you heard of avoided goals? It's a new one. This is like the opposite
0: <laughs> of expected goals from goalkeepers.
1: Yeah. So it's basically where the, the amount of goals he concedes less than the expected goals he was expected to concede of himself. And okay. interesting, Kujac, who I, I think was potentially the only Real player I'd taken the Santa Clarita, to go mm, back to that early mm, point. Mm. He is um, the best in the league. He's got six avoided goals. So, you know, they're better than in terms of Moshin and Adnan. They, they, they're better in that that statistic which i i think is quite interesting there's a really good article on goal point if anybody wants to read about um if anyone's into the xg
0: go go read that about avoided goals on <laughs> well, you'll put that on twitter if anybody wants to read that yeah no he's a great goalkeeper i really i really rate him i think we're quite lucky in this league that there's plenty of good goalkeepers up and down the league at all levels really i think you said it last week the only team without a good goalkeeper really is uh is seediness you know
1: well look, we're going to sum up the bottom half of the table in a second aren't we because you know you put it so well they have we have absolutely slept walked their way into this relegation battle and I think they're in real trouble Okay, well, we're going to end this episode with a little look at the relegation battle because I think we both agree that's the most exciting part of this league right now. Absolutely. Yeah, so we got, we're going to focus on C.D. Nacional, Ferenc, Boa Vista and Rio Ave. And that's because of this in- interesting situation we're in with, with the Portuguese league that I haven't experienced before, which is the positions of the table, if they're on the same amount of points, it won't be decided on goal difference. It will be decided on head-to-head results. So if you look at Family Famalicão, and Maritimo, they're all six points above Ferencz who are in the relegation spot. And if there was a six-point swing and friends were to end on the same points of either of those three teams, is head-to-head with all those teams means Ferencz would still stay in the second relegation spot, if you see what I mean. And perhaps the most cruel one out of that is Maritimo because Ferenz won 2-1 at home, but Maritimo won 1-0 at home when they were at home. So that away goal to Maritimo means that they would still finish above. Them. It's very, of course, it's very confusing. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, all three of, the, all three of them could finish in the relegation playoff spot, but to focus on these four teams is the one because they're the ones who are...
0: Yeah, and also we're pointing out that Maritimo in 14th, from are on 34 points. They're three points ahead of Rio Ave in 15 points. They're four points clear of even a relegation playoff and six points clear of automatic relegation with two games left. So, you know, at this point, it, it, it's fair to assume that uh, Maritimo are pretty safe. Let's start from the bottom up, Barney. Let's start with an easy one. Uh, C.D. Nacional. Their next two games: Famalicão away and Rio Ave at home. They're six points from safety. They're five points from the relegation playoff. They have to win both games and rely on two other teams losing both games to even have a chance of staying up. At this point, in the nicest possible way, I think we're assuming that their season's over from this point.
1: Looking at those games, apart from Boavista, I would say they've got the easiest run if you think about form as well. Now, we've also got to include Rio Ave in this little bit of discussion because they're obviously playing them on the last day of the season, Rio versus CD Nacional. And it's most interesting because I think we can assume Rio Ave are going to lose against Porto, who they're playing, they playing before CD Nacional. And if CD Nacional were to beat Family Cow, it would be a three points difference between the two. Mm-hmm. Now, this is where it comes down to head to head again because if CD Nacional Win against Rio Ave because they drew early nil nil early in the season. CD National would be beating Rio Ave on head to head, and there you go, Rio Ave relegated. That's the fascinating situation. Now, <laughs> I really hope happens.
0: Barney's cracked the code, he's found a way for <laughs> CD National to stay up. Get him on the phone to the CD National manager, he's found a way. Well, look, in all seriousness, though no, it's going to take a lot for him to stay up. The, the situation you described is incredibly complicated, it relies on so many variables all falling into place. Uh, I think, you know, the point is at this point, they are at the bottom for the reason. You know, they've got Family Cow next. Family Cow are a strong team. They're away to Family I'm not sure they get a result out of that. And even Rio Ave at the end of the season, even though Rio Ave in bad form, CD Nassau are not really much better. So, yeah, from my perspective, there's not really much hope for them, unfortunately. Forens, on the other hand, though, there's much more to play for forens. Their next two games, Tondela at home and then Santa Clara away on the last day of the season, they're three points from safety. Only two points from the playoff relegation spot. Much more for them to play off. Obviously, very damaging result against Porto. You know, not just in terms of scoreline, but also in the manner of the performance. They need to get their heads sorted, Bainey. They need to get their act together because they're not quite out of this yet. There's a massive game at home for them next week. And that game at home to Tondela is huge. I mean, they've had must-win games for the last few weeks now, but this one really is a must-win game. If ever there was a must-win game, it's this one at home against Tondela.
1: Yeah, they'll have to get their heads up after that heavy loss to Porto, won't they? And at... But Tondeo have shown their frailties this season. I think there is an opportunity there. And then you've got Santa Clara last day of the season. You could say, you know, Santa Clara could be on the beach. You know, they've done what they have <laughs> needed to do this season. But then, like I said earlier, Bovis is running with Portimonense and Gil Vicente. That's that the easiest one for me. I think have uh, you know, we talked about them a few months or two ago when they were in a good bit of form, but they've dropped off a bit. They, they, haven't, they haven't won recently. Gil Vicente as well, another team that. A very hit and miss throughout the season. But this battle between Friends and Bo Vista, sorry to go back to the head-to-head, but I, I'm I'm loving this new system because Friends Friends have beaten Boa Vista twice, so that puts them in a very strong position if they end up on equal points. It puts they got that advantage. And so that's that glimmer of hope for me for Friends. Is that they they could hold on to that, but you know, I, I would rather Bovis' run on, on this one.
0: Yeah, no, it's a great point. And as you say, Bovis's next two games, ends at home at the weekend, Gil Vicente away at the end of the season. I'm totally with you. Of these four teams getting relegated, that is the easiest one. Portemolens have been good recently, definitely not unbeatable, and Gil Vicente are neither here nor there, really. That said, Bovis' themselves have not been totally convincing recently. Obviously, the loss to Sporting the other day was understandable but also recently failing to take chances against teams like Tondela where well, they got a draw they also lost to Maritimo a few weeks back you know that suggests that they're not totally convincing ahead of these two games which are massive for them Um so there is still a question mark over them they have got an easier run in but it's definitely not a done job for them I mentioned
1: about Boavista Vista on the previous quarter how I I, I still did not fancy them for the playoff game if, if they were to finish in that position I think you could say the same for all four of these teams, Albert. I, I, I don't know if Rio have got that bit more quality in the squad, but, you know, it seems like
0: of CD Nacional, who they've shown me this season that they sort of deserve to be in those relegation spots. Yeah. Well, the last team, of course, Barney, Rio have their next two games, as you mentioned, at home at the weekend to Porto, very tough game. And then last day of the season away at CD Nacional. They're currently safe by one point, but I do really worry about them. Not only is that game against Porto really tough, you know, again, you'd be really surprised if they got anything out. of. But as we've alluded to, their form suggests that they just cannot put a win together for love nor money. Their last six games, four draws, two losses, no sign of them beating the teams in and around them with recent results, uh, including a loss to Santa Clara, George Portmanems lost to Maritimo recently. They haven't won a game since a 2-0 victory over Forens a few weeks ago. They've got one win in 15 games. And I think at the moment you have to say, barring a drastic shift in form, They're in very big trouble.
1: Yeah, and I would be gutted if they got relegated, to be honest, because I'm a big fan of so many of those players. But then also part of me feels like they sort of deserve it. And the drama of the fact that they were a penalty kick away from being in the Europa League and
0: then being relegated to Liga Pro, I mean, that would be one hell of a story. That would be absolutely shocking. Well, look, I'm going to give you my final prediction, Barney. I think. Of the games left, I think Boavista Vista will get the one win that they need. I think that will be a to Gil Vicente on the last day. I think Rio Ave will get one point away at Nacional on the last day and they will be, therefore, the team playing in that relegation playoff. I think Ferenc possibly could get one win or maybe a draw in both games. But I think, ultimately, personally, my prediction is that they will stay in the second relegation spot.
1: I think I agree with most of those predictions, Albert. I think the only thing I, I want is that drama of the the City National-Rio Ave game last day of the season. I want that, like, if it's 1-1 and City National, just know that one goal would keep them up. That would be so good. Finally,
0: I've got no idea what I'm going to do on that Sunday, last day of the season, when I'm trying to watch nine games happening simultaneously. It's going to be an absolute nightmare. Well, look, just to quickly run you through that again, National, I play Family out at the weekend and Rio Ave on the last day. Ferenc, Tom Della at the weekend and Santa Clara. Boa Vista are playing Porto Menendez and then Gil Vicente and Rio Ave are playing Porto and then Nacional Barney. I don't know if you realize, but this will be our last show before the season is over. I know, man.
1: It's gonna it's gonna be intense. I'm looking, I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's gonna be a fantastic last game of the season. And you know, look, this league, Santa Clara, we mentioned Santa Clara, they've only just got themselves like they're only a couple of points out of this scrap. That's what's mm. been so brilliant, man. Teams from fucking sixth downwards, are, you know, aren't haven't been safe all season. It's been it's been so good to watch.
0: It's been an absolute roller coaster. The season as a whole has been fantastic. The next time. We speak to you guys, the listeners. The season will be over. The relegation battle will be decided. We'll just have the relegation playoff to worry about and who knows where we're going to be. Well, look, we're going to wrap things up for today. It's been a fantastic season and there's still plenty of drama left, so make sure you don't miss out on these last two games of the season. There's still so much to be decided. Uh, If you've enjoyed listening, you could leave us a little review on Apple Podcasts or recommend our podcast to a friend who you think might enjoy listening. If you want to get in contact with the show, you can find us on Twitter at LongballFootball or you can email us at football at gmail.com but that just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next week
1: yeah see you next week